The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark 5, 35-43. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha koum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Kristen. Jesus for desperate people. Have you ever seen a desperate person before? Of course you have. Have you ever, I mean, what's going on here when you're at the airport, you're waiting for your plane to board with your carry-on baggage, and you see a couple running down the concourse as fast as they possibly can with bags on hand. Now, that's, those are desperate people, and you're saying to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I got here on time. It's a terrible feeling to think, I've got to make my flight, and I have to run right in front of everybody through an airport. As a former teacher, I would always have students at the end of every semester come to me and say, Mr. Sandberg, Please, I'm begging you to give me extra credit work so I can pass this course, to go from an F to a D or a D to a C or something like that. It happened every time. This is this. Never were they desperate the whole semester, but now all of a sudden they're desperate. Since you all know to me to be a kind and gentle person, I very often gave in to that and gave them extra credit, which is completely the opposite of my wife, who never gives extra credit <laughs> at NC State. She's a merciless professor, uh, but that's, that's just who I am. Now, it, maybe on, on a more regular basis, you've lost your car keys, or if you lost your phone, and you're just struggling, desperate to find those things, or the worst one of all, when you lose your remote control. Some of you have probably lost a child. Hopefully, this was a temporary thing, but there is probably no desperation that could match having a lost child that you're looking for. But anyway, people do desperate things to be cured, to stay alive. It really is sort of the human condition. And if you think about it, if you think about before you were saved, before you came to Christ, you were also in a desperate situation. And even as believers, you still find yourself in desperate situations. Well, Jesus is for desperate people. And that's good to know. Mark 5 gives us three desperate people. There's three stories here which really is three sermons, and I'm going to preach all three of them. These stories involve three realities of life that makes all of us desperate people. It also answers two questions from 
Mark chapter 4, the previous chapter in the, in the previous sermon, one question is implied. What kind of soil am I? So you can see soils in the various responses that you get in Mark chapter 5. Another question that comes at the end of Mark chapter 4 is where the disciples ask themselves, who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So Mark continues to answer that question, who is Jesus, with these three acts of Jesus' power. Now, one more thing I want you to notice here. These three characters in Mark 5 are three desperate people, just like you and me, and they represent something about our lives, um, especially as they reflect the past, the present, and the future. Check this out for a second. For instance, the demon-possessed man reminds us that the very beginning of our desperate condition goes back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis. Satan, the leader of all demons, has initiated worldwide chaos to try to get us to be controlled by him rather than God. The diseased woman reminds us that this present world is one of suffering and weakness. All of failures of humans, even smart humans, um, are try, are the attempt is to try to solve them with a the human solution, and it never works. The dead girl reminds us that everyone's future entails death, our greatest fear. Death, of course, is going to be the ultimate desperation. No one, even those with power and wealth, can avoid this. But the Lord Jesus Christ is for desperate people. That's why he came. Before Christ, we were in a desperate condition. We have to remember that and see that. After God saved us, we still live in a world that may, still makes us desperate at times. But Jesus is even for his children in desperate times. Here's some things to look for as we go through these three stories this morning. One is this. Each story shows something is missing. Something's gone. The stories also show a weakness, a weakness of the human condition. But for everything missing and everything weak in the human condition, there is something restored by Jesus. If you're desperate for truth, anyone here desperate for truth and the meaning of life and freedom from guilt and desperate for forgiveness, Jesus is for you. If you're a disciple and, and desperate for help, then know that Jesus is still for you. If you know that Jesus is desperate for desperate people, then you have the mission of presenting Christ to those people. That's what you're going to do this week. Because everyone is desperate, you're going to present the Jesus that's for desperate people. All right, first one, the demon-possessed man. From Mark chapter 4, we see Jesus and his disciples, they land on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in Gentile territory. Jesus, just by landing there, is really fulfilling the promise of God for the nation of Israel to bless the nations. Well, Israel as a nation never really had done this, so Jesus does it in place of Israel. Or more accurately, Jesus is the perfection of Israel. As soon as they get out of the boat, they're met by a man possessed by demons, evil spirits. Imagine this now. 
Remembering chapter four, in this stormy sea, they were sure they were gonna die. They're sopping wet and freezing, probably shivering. They land finally, catch their breath, get out of there. And this is why I said stay in the boat with Jesus because that's where the action starts. But I'll say this, if he gets, if he gets out of the boat, then get out of the boat with him too. And sure enough, it just starts all over again. A demon-possessed man comes down toward them. Now look at this. Look at Mark's description of the man. And every one of these things all by themselves is almost like a hallmark of insanity. And yet the guy has all of these. First of all, he lives in a cemetery. That's a sure sign something's wrong, right? He's uncontrollable. And not just uncontrollable, but he's such a nuisance that he's routinely shackled. I always wanted to know what people in the city had that job. I mean, who, what civil government workers have to say, I look at you two, or maybe it was an entire football team, whatever. You guys got to go up there and shackle this guy. And then when it was done, when he was overpowered, he would just overpower them. And if they got shackles on him, he would crush the shackles, just, just shatter them. That's, that sounds like insanity. He overpowers everyone. He, he, Luke, tells us, Luke tells us that he was naked. He, he cuts himself. He yells at nobody all the time. That's a desperate situation. This is the most desperate man. So what's missing? So what's missing in this man's life? There's a lot of ways to look at that. What's gone is, is his dignity. His dignity is gone. I mean, think about it. I, I said this one time before. I was in Africa one time, just going in, in a small town right through the middle of an intersection, and there was a man walking right through the traffic, and all he was wearing, literally all he was wearing was a shirt. I looked at his eyes as we passed them by, and it was just the wildest look. Those people exist, those desperate people. What's missing, though, is the image of God. The word dignity, I say his dignity is gone. The word dignity comes from Latin word for worthiness. It's the image of God that's really missing. He's a, he's a creation of a wise and powerful and gracious God. He's made in God's image. But he looks as far away from that as he can, a human can look. And that's what sin does in our lives. It mars and damages the image of God in us. It renders us basically dysfunctional. We no longer look like the images of the creator, but instead, instead look more like an image of, of the enemy of God. Look, if I have a mirror and it's broken and it's scratched and it's covered with grime, the mirror has lost its dignity. That is to say, it's lost its reason for being what it is supposed to be. It's supposed to reflect. I'm supposed to see that in a mirror, see a perfect reflection of myself. It's just these sort of desperate, broken, undignified people that Jesus comes to because he looks at them and says, you're not imaging God the Father in the way that you are, in the way that you're living. And so look at what the scripture says in verse six. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, that is Jesus had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And what is your name, he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. So we see, we see that his dignity is gone. We see the weakness is this, is the weakness of the human will. 
Jesus asks the man what his name is, but he's not the one that answers. The demons do. All human control, all self-control is gone. And they refer to themselves in military terms. They say, I am legion, a Latin word for meaning, a military term for, for a couple, a cohort of a couple thousand soldiers. What they're really saying to Jesus is this is warfare. They're not giving him the name of a, like a person. They're not even bothering to tell him really how many demons that is. That's not the point. This is warfare, Jesus. Are you ready for this? Do they mean to threaten him? Do they mean to intimidate Jesus? Are you kidding me? We make a big mistake, by the way. We believe that we have the strength to solve our own problems. We're foolish to believe that we can solve our physical or moral weaknesses by sheer willpower. Aren't all of us a little bit too quick to, to look down on people that have the so-called major addictions? Drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, pornography. But we fail to notice that we eat more than we ought to. Sleep too late, play too many video games, pay attention to social media too much, watch too much TV, shop too much, and so on. Hey, where's your willpower then? Some people worry too much. And they even, to me, look like they're addicted to their worry. They may say like, oh, no, I hate, I hate that I worry all the time. Really? Then why don't you just by your willpower stop worrying? But you don't. How many of us find some excuse not to read our Bibles or pray or attend all the church gatherings? You see, willpower is not all that's cracked up to be. And that's what makes us desperate people. We don't possess the strength and willpower to overcome sin by ourselves. We don't even have the willpower to be saved. Salvation is the work of God alone. He's the one that makes you willing to believe. Well, the demons are overpowered by Jesus' simple command, and they beg to enter a herd of pigs as a sort of a second alternative to judgment. They enter the pigs, the pigs rush down the side of a hill into the sea and drown. This is, the simplicity of the gospel writers is almost as overwhelming to me as the actual scene that I'm picturing here. The people of the town, they can't condemn Jesus because why? They see a man miraculously healed. The worst excuse for a human being they've ever seen is, according to verse 15, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So you see what is missing, and you see what is weak, so what was restored? And the answer is the image of God. The image of God is restored in people that come to Jesus. What's so desperate about the human condition? Well, outside of Christ, the perfect image of God People are not living as God created them, to image him, to reflect the holy, beautiful, gracious creator, to be his representatives on earth, to worship him. Salvation is, you guys, not just about forgiveness, but also restoring what you were meant to be, the reason for your creation. Jesus restores that. If a pig came up to me and said, I'm, a, I'm in a desperate situation, I want to be a swimmer, but I'm afraid of the water, I would say to him, yeah, don't worry about that. That's not where you belong. Just hop over in that mud. That's where pigs belong. 
If a fish walked up to me and said, I want to eat pig slop and wallow in the mud, I would say, yeah, that's a desperate situation. You were not made for wallowing in the mud. You were created to be in the water. That's where you belong. That's fulfilling your function, your calling. So you guys said, this is why we evangelize. We seek to have the image of God, which is damaged and marred and corrupted by sin, to have the image of God restored in people. That's why the ultimate goal of salvation is to transform people to look like Jesus Christ. All right, so stop looking at people on this planet, in this community, in this state, in this country, as being just fine without Christ. Without Christ, they're dysfunctional, whether you can see it or not, because they're not imaging God. That's why we came. That's why Jesus comes for those sort of desperate people. Now, what happens to this man? Verse 17 says that the people of this region beg Jesus to leave them, to leave them. What kind of soil, from Mark chapter 4, what kind of soil begs Jesus to leave? The saddest thing about rejection of Jesus is that you get what you ask for. They beg Jesus to leave, and he leaves. Let me just tell you one, one quick thing about hell. Hell is populated by people who are getting what they want. They have said, I do not want Jesus, and Jesus says, you shall have what you want. Of course, the opposite of that is that all of us who are in right relationship with God and will spend eternity, we will be there because he will give us what we want. We want Jesus. There's a lot of begging in this story. The demons, the townspeople, the demon-possessed man who now loves Jesus. What kind of soil is that guy now? I want to be with you, Jesus. Let me be with you. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. But Jesus commissions him to stay at home and, and report to people what hath, happened to him. Jesus actually uses the word for what I want you to do, sir, now, is a word that means to relate the news. Tell the news about what happened to you. But Mark says that what he did was, and he uses a different word, he proclaimed Jesus. That is to say he preached Jesus. He told what happened, he told what it meant, and he told what they should do in response. Now that's exactly what you can do. It's no more complicated than that. What happened to you when you came to Christ? What does it mean? What should you do? That's all, that's, that's the gospel. Sometimes Jesus asks you to leave your home. Sometimes he asks you to stay. Which one do you think is harder? Think about it. Actually, Jesus leaves more than the, the man as his witness, if you think about it. It wasn't just that one man all by himself now preaching the gospel, but he also left 2,000 pigs floating, stinking corpses in the water as a sign when Jesus comes, powerful things happen. Well, look at the diseased woman now, verse 25. Now, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. In three sentences, Mark describes a truly desperate woman bleeding for 12 years. Her experience with, what are your experiences with doctors? That's probably a mixed bag. 
But you go to them and you hope for the best and usually they come out for you. Her experience is endurance and total failure. In fact, she gets worse and now she's out of money. But it's even more than that. Her social structures are gone. That's what's missing. I mean, her money's gone. How do you survive in an economy without money? Her marriage is bound to be gone because according to the laws of where she lives, a husband can divorce a wife just for that. So no money and kind of alone. Friends? that's just uncomfortable because you're an unclean person according to the Levitical law of the Old Testament. So you can't really, people become unclean if they are around you. And then of course that means that she can't partake in her religious life, which will be the most important thing. She can't go to the temple and she can't worship God like she's instructed to do that because she's unclean and she cannot seem to get clean. Her social structures are gone. Now, one of the weaknesses here, of course, is the weakness of human ingenuity. I mean, she goes to the doctors and spends all her money and doesn't do any good. Money, marriage, um, human solutions to those problems, they just don't solve anything. We continue to face problems with human ingenuity, science, medicine, psychology, diplomacy, and so on. But you know what, you guys, disease continues, and war continues, and Crime continues, and sadness and suicide continues. Human solutions to human problems. This poor woman does what anyone would do, what you and I would do. We would seek experts and we would spend as much money as we had to get better, but it doesn't work. Some things are beyond human capacity to solve. What is beyond our means to solve a problem, that's what makes us desperate people. Look at verse 27, having heard about Jesus, how? How did she hear about Jesus? Somebody's doing a good job of witnessing. Good job, whoever those people are, you did a good job. This woman has heard about Jesus from you. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. Now this is the ultimate sort of like ninja move that she's making right here. Mark has done a great job of telling huge crowds are around Jesus. She's heard about Jesus and she thinks to herself, this is the sort of person from what I've heard that would even care about me. And so she makes her way and she's just pushing people aside, making every one of them technically unclean, although they don't know. And she comes up to Jesus and she just probably sticks her finger right in between two disciples that are right there behind Jesus and touches the hem of his garment. She said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her blood flow ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothing? This is the, that was the one thing she was dreading. The one thing in this whole thing, she was hoping, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm pretty sure I can guarantee it. There's only 20 people touching Jesus right now. I'll just be another one of them. And then Jesus immediately stops and turns around and said, who touched me? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you and yet you say, who touched me? Hey, you guys, what kind of soil questions Jesus for his logic? 
More importantly, what kind of soil thinks that some people are less worthy of Jesus and maybe even kind of bothersome? Have you ever been that kind of soil before? Just, you're just an irritating, desperate person. You have too many problems. You're not pleasant to be around. Jesus has got bigger fish to fry, not somebody like you. But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he says, daughter, what a, what a sweet term of affection. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. So what's the restoration here? Well, it's certainly the woman's health. But there's so much more. There's restoration of community. He restores relationships. Of course, Jesus loves to restore people's bodies, but he also loves to restore relationships and none are beyond him. She's able to enter into meaningful relationships with people and with her God. Her sense and experience of being in community and fellowship with those who worship God has been restored. In other words, this, this lady's got her priorities really, really well. Community is important and to be in God's community is very, very important, and Jesus restores that. Yeah, Jesus cares about human health and human disabilities, and we're all physically broken. And by the way, we're not bothersome to him. But we're also mainly spiritually broken and desperate, or we were, but Jesus' intercession on the cross restores relationship with God, the most important broken relationship that there is. Jesus restores that. You can be forgiven and have that peace. God cares about a person's sense of belonging to a community of worshipers too. Now this woman can get back with her family, with her friends, and a place of worship. That's what Jesus does. Community is important to God, not isolation. Thirdly, the dead daughter. In verse 21, Mark says that after Jesus returned from the other side of Sea of Galilee, where the demon-possessed man was healed. Now he's back and he's walking through the crowds again and a synagogue leader, an important religious person named Jairus sees Jesus, falls at his feet and begs him to heal his dying daughter. Jesus agrees to go with him, but he's still slowed down by the crowd. And that's when the woman that was bleeding interrupts him. Now, the Bible authors have put the drama in here on purpose. Now, finally, we have what we would all say is the most desperate situation of all. Someone's about to die. And Jesus is still paying attention to people. But uncomfortably, he's not moving as fast as we want him to. What kind of watch does Jesus wear? None. He's never late. He's always on time but it's hard, it's hard to see that. So he's busy with so many different people. Verse 35 says, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? What a question, why bother Jesus? Have you ever asked that before? Or here's a better question, can you bother Jesus? Is it possible? Listen, teenagers, listen to this one. When your narcissism begins to diminish a little bit, 
you'll begin to think about God and you'll say to yourself, I wonder if my problems are, would be of any kind of importance to God. When you start thinking about it more, and the answer is yes. You're not bothering God when you come to him. Why bother Jesus? How do you bother Jesus? All right, what's missing? Well, of course, time. Time is gone. This is another thing, even the ultimate thing that makes all of us in a desperate situation, we're all going to die. We, shall, we all have an appointed end. That means time is fleeting. Time moves for each of us relentlessly onto our own end, and then time is gone. Whatever we meant to do when we die, it will not get done. Whatever decision we were supposed to make, if we didn't do it when we die, we will not make that decision. It will be too late. What's the weakness here? Well, one thing is the weakness of power and prestige. Jairus is an important person. He cannot be poor. He is highly respected. He's very, very religious. And he still has a daughter that dies. That didn't stop anything. That's a reminder when, I, when I'm trying to tell you guys about, about the desperate people around you, you're going to have to see things a little bit better. So you're in Fuquay traffic, which gets worse and worse. And the person in front of you is driving a Lexus or a BMW or a Mercedes Benz. And, and you, might, you might follow him and you know he's going to go to a gigantic house. And they look happy. If you try to pass them, you might look over there at them and they're on their cell phone and they're laughing or something like that. That's not a desperate person. Oh, yes, it is. Just because they have power and money doesn't mean they're, they're not desperate. They're going to die. That's what sort of levels everybody down to the same level. No matter how religious or smart or healthy or wealthy or famous you are, you're going to die and face God. And death has no respect of, of age. Millions of children die or are murdered before they are ever born. I have a brother in heaven. My mom's firstborn, he lived for one hour. Obviously, I've never seen him. Not guaranteed even an hour of life. 12-year-olds die. But it doesn't make any difference. That's, that's what drives this, this uh, fear and despair about life because of this inevitability. So Jesus takes, or, or rather, he takes, uh, says to Jairus, listen, don't be afraid, only believe. He takes his three closest disciples into the house where everyone is weeping and wailing according to custom. And he says, why all this commotion? The girl's not dead, she's just asleep. And everyone laughs at Jesus. What kind of soil laughs at Jesus? And what does Jesus restore? Time is gone. The weakness of power, religion, prestige, brains, none of that. It doesn't do anything to keep people from dying. What he restores, of course, is nothing other than life itself, the restoration of life. Jesus takes the girl's, dead girl's hand. And Mark records Jesus' words in Aramaic, the common language of Jesus, and then translates it for anybody that only maybe knew Greek or something. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk and she was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. Well, why? Because there's hundreds of people outside the door. And Jesus always has to be about crowd control until it's time. 
And then it says, as this ends, he told them to give her something to eat. Practical, good advice. Jesus cares about, yes, even eating. The power of the spiritual world, the weakness of human flesh, and the inevitability of death make everyone desperate. This makes the desperation universal. It is the universal condition. It is what we all have in common. That's why you can talk to all humans on this planet because you have that in common with them. But a universal problem calls for a universal solution. We need a gospel for, who, for everyone who's desperate and for everything that makes us desperate. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ because he's for desperate people, right? So what do we learn? Well, first, Jesus comes for the desperate. We must too. That's gotta be our mission. In fact, they are everybody. The desperate people is literally everybody. There's no hope in human willpower. There's no hope in human ingenuity. There's no hope in religion. This lowers everybody to the level of utter des desperation. We're the only ones that have the message of hope, you guys. God's gift of grace is humbly received. All of them fell down. Not earned. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. Every character in our stories, um, they, they fall down and come to Jesus and cry for help. And that's what we're telling people to do. Jesus' power to restore desperate people starts with humbly coming to him in simple faith. That's all you have to do. Those who have ears to hear will believe our message of hope. Don't fear about that. You know what their problem is. You have the solution in Christ. Just those who have ears to hear will hear. There will be fruit. Believers, disciples of Jesus, when you feel desperate at times, Jesus is still for you. If God be for us, who can be against us? So Jesus comes for the desperate. Secondly, Jesus defeats what makes people desperate. It's defeated. Think about this. He's defeated the power of the enemy. Colossians 1, 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2, 15, he, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He's defeated the power of the enemy. He's also defeated bondage to flesh, which is what you battle with too. We have the Holy Spirit of God within us. That's an unimaginable power. Paul said in Romans 8, 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So then he'll say in Galatians 5, 16, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And of course, he's also defeated death by his own death. Remember, Paul just simply says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6, 23. Hebrews 2, 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
And then the Apostle John says in Revelation chapter 20, five things are cast into the lake of fire. The beast, the false prophet, the devil, death, and hell. So he's defeated death by his own death. One last thing we've learned, thirdly, that Jesus restores the desperate. It's not just a salvation, it's not just a forgiveness or an atonement, but it's a restoration. Broken marriages, broken relationships, broken bodies, none of that is beyond the powerful, loving Savior who comes for those kind of desperate people. Revelation 21, four through five, he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. So look, has Mark presented the human condition accurately from chapter five? Has Mark done a good job of presenting the human condition? I say yes. Has Mark shown us the power and love of Jesus that with just a simple word, he makes things happen. He loves desperate people. Yes, I think Mark's done a good job. Has Mark answered the disciples' question, who is Jesus? Well, three more examples. That's who Jesus is. That's why we come here. That's why we sing. That's why we love them. And let me ask you this. Do you think our mission is any different than Jesus' mission? It is not. So there's a new way to look at the, at the world outside of these doors starting now and this week looking at the mission of Jesus for desperate people. Your mission is the same. Let's go and do that. Let's be faithful with that. And let's pray now. Father, thank you for, again, for the word, the clarity of the word in these passages from Mark about who our wonderful Lord Jesus is. I'm encouraged by your Bible, which tells me that you come for me and my desperation. You came to save me. I thank you for saving Redeemer Church, for restoring relationships. I thank you that you are just the kind that comes for desperate people. I do have to ask that we will continue to embrace that truth, but also that we will take upon ourselves the mission this week, that the world out there is just full of desperate people. And we've got to keep that same message, uh, this message of hope and restoration for desperate people. Give us that heart, please, Father, this week. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.